In this episode, we're going to be talking about the album Leanne Le Havas, the self-titled album by British singer-songwriter Leanne Le Havas. Born in London to Jamaican and Greek parents, this album marks the third for Le Havas and a distinct turn for her in terms of creative freedom. Made alongside friends, frequent collaborators and members of her live band, this record is a personal journey through love, loss and independence. I'd not heard this album before choosing it for this week's episode, but it's clear now that I've been sleeping on a modern classic. I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. This is Leanne Le Havas by Leanne Le Havas. You're listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Join the conversation at tracks.show. It appears we are ready to bounce. <laughs> Okay. Hello and welcome back to Between the Tracks. This is episode five. We are a book club for music. Each week we bring in one album to deep dive it and go through track by track. As you heard in the intro, this week is going to be the album Leanne Le Havas by Leanne Le Havas. Introductions wise, my name is Carl Lewis. With me as always is Charlie Alfie Bifalo. Bonjour. And Chris Bunt. Hi, Carl. Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very happy with this choice, actually. This was a nice surprise. It was a good choice, man. I'm loving this I one. Mean, it was a nice surprise. You chose it. I'd never heard it. Oh, I see. Yeah. I so, thought you meant like you, you were like... Yeah, <laughs> got to this week. Oh, yeah. Surprise. Oh, no, I forgot. What have I done? <laughs> um, shout out to Bunt for the intro there. It was beautiful. <laughs> yep. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Not a big deal, but book <laughs> Bunt for voiceovers. His <laughs> details will be in the show notes. <laughs> Thanks. How's your week been, boys? I have had a fantastic week, actually. Nice, casual, easy, no drama, and a nice album to accompany me. Another week in lockdown. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. How about you, Charles? Locky D. Um, <laughs> you call him Lockdown Locky D now? Why not? Get the hell out. I've never heard yeah. it, but I quite like it. Good Thanks. stick. Uh, it's been good. been a really lovely, luscious week. Nice. You, you've been like a dog in heat waiting to talk about this album. I love it. You have not stopped messaging and saying how excited you are to talk about this. I love it. I think it's bloody brilliant. So Chris, this is your choice. What made you pick this? Well, I do know of Leanne Havas. I know some of her songs. I particularly know the single that she released with Willie Mason. Sorry, I keep wanting to say Willie Nelson, but Willie Mason. I thought that. Every time I read that, I was like, oh. I keep, That's what I thought it was on the track. Uh, Willie, Willie N. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say No Room for Doubt because it's a long time that I've heard it, but um, No Room for Doubt. Yeah, it's No Room for Doubt. That's where I first heard of her. And I just knew that this album existed, but I hadn't yet heard it. It was really good to see that it had been reviewed really, really well. And that was sort of it. That was That's where it came from. Um, it was an opportunity for me to just discover it at the same time as you were. And I think that's what this show is is doing, myself and for us. I mean, we, we were just talking about that, how invested we become in each album that we bring to the party. So I think it's been really nice because obviously normally when we bring the album in, it's something that the person who's choosing knows and everyone, it's new to the other two. But in this situation, this would be the first time it's been new for all of us, I think. Mm -hmm. I knew very little about Leanne, really. I knew of her and I knew that she was kind of doing her thing and she was out there releasing music. But I think that she's always, and not in a disservice way to her, kind of flown under the radar and has always been like kind of a releasing artist and always doing well, but not necessarily right in the in the mainstream. Yeah, I'd say that. There's, that's definitely the um, the idea that's put across by lots of uh, reviews and interviews mm -hmm. with yeah. her. Yeah. It's funny you say that though, because I feel kind of the opposite, but then that's because I was aware of her. With an artist like Leanne, I feel like she bubbles away 
but she's so nearly surface level. I was surprised if she isn't a household name. That's it though, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what is that's what is surprising. That's what the surprising is for a yeah. lot of people is yeah. like how she's not because she is so so amazing. And um if for this to be the first foray into the Liana Havas world, this was a really good start for me because it feels like her most honest work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is album three of her release cycle, released on the 17th of June, 2020. So just middle of last year, right in the middle of lockdown, which must have been a challenge. And I know in a couple of interviews, she talked about how much of a challenge that was, not being able to go out and play the songs live and all that stuff. Well, all of the media that we've got on this album really is a product of being in Locky D, isn't it? Locky D, yeah. (laughs) That does kind of present its own challenges, I guess, for an artist releasing during lockdown. But she, this seems to be doing really well. It's had some great ratings and it's definitely put her on the map. Not that she needed that because she was doing so well in the place she was at, but it definitely seems to be a step up for her. And I'm kind of glad that she's hopefully getting the recognition she deserves because this is an amazing album. Mm-hmm. Too right. Yeah. Too right. Most definitely. So I think, um, did we have a comment about this? Yeah, we did. We had a comment from an old friend of mine, Sophie, who I used to work with. Um, hi, Sophie, if you happen to be listening to the episode too. Hello, Sophie. She said uh, that very simply, Leanne is her fave. And I really hope that this episode does it justice. Alongside that, we heard again from Stuart at Bleak Planet a regular contributor on our online socials. He said about Bittersweet, that opening track is an instant classic, super soulful, straight out of the mid 70s and feel, rich instrumentation and beautiful overlaps. Loved all the songs on this album, but especially Bittersweet. That's a pretty good lead in. So let's get started on the album. This is track one, Bittersweet. That was track one, Bittersweet, full version. Full version. Um, if you chaps wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind starting with how this song came to be. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, so as far as I can see, Leanne visited Matt Hales in LA in around 2014, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And her intention was to kind of create a new sound. She was, she was trying to create a new direction for her work. After they went there... They kind of made the basics of the song, the basis of the song. And then Leanne took the song to New York and they did a live version of this song, which never made the album. But this set the kind of ball rolling, which led to Leanne taking it to Benny Giles in London and her and her band made the final version. I'm trusting you on that, that, that oh, that's God. correct. Oh, God, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, me too. You know, um, Matt Hales, that's, that's Aqualung, you know that? Yeah, so he's a producer, right? Mm. Well, he's an, he's an artist in his own right. Mm. Um, strange and beautiful to me. You're strange and you're oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's an Aqualung song. Wow. That's who. That's who. Um, Matt Hales is. He's credited throughout this. He's littered throughout. Yeah, he really is. He really littered, is. littered. Obviously, you've got at the top. You've got that sample, the Isaac Hayes Ike's Rap Three. Mm. That if you're going to look for that song, we'll link to it in the playlist. But it's Isaac Hayes Ike's Rap Three. Your love is so doggone good mm-hmm. from the album Black Moses. You can hear the start of the song. The first couple of bars is the sample, and then it breaks out into. The it's band so funny. Of it. I read in a, a like in a piece that someone said, "Oh, they've sampled the guitar from that 
record. And I was like, no, they bloody haven't. They sampled a lot of that. It's it's a full sample, isn't it? I think the, the start is a full sample. Yeah. And I think it breaks out into the band playing it, but it's definitely obviously inspired by that. When she's talking about it, she said that she didn't really know where it had come from. This was a sample that I guess had been in the collection somewhere and she'd found it and they mm-hmm. had to Shazam it to, to re-find it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And she wrote the melody. I guess she, she wrote the, the top line and then found the Isaac Hayes version and found out that they're really, really similar. It's, oh, really? Yeah, she said it's just the way that the, the song demanded to be written. Yeah, almost. yeah, yeah. Well, it means, at least it means Isaac got it right on the first pass. Well, I, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I've got to mention the drums on this record, which are amazing throughout. And we were fortunate enough to get a good friend of mine, Dan C, and Leanne's drummer on Zoom for a quick interview about the tracks he played on and also his kind of take on the whole recording process. We're going to release the full interview soon. Um, but we we're talking about Bittersweet and obviously it's such a lively song and the drums play a big part in the energy of the, the tune itself. I did this whole overdub part for the whole track, which is me on brushes, just doing super random scratches on the on the snare drum and cymbal bits and that kind of, it, I think it gives it a lot of, a, a lot of life. And it bloody does, darling. When you actually put some headphones on and listen to this, this song is so noisy and a lot of the album is so noisy, filled with things like that, like an, an extra drum track that has a load of washes over cymbals and sticks over snares and all sorts of things, which is nuts, really. That sort of goes against a lot of the ideas about perfect recordings and things like that because they're actually filthing them up, much like the Wilco thing that we were talking about last week about destruction and taking it away from that idea of perfection. It's really creative in how they've done that and how the process was. Obviously, she co-produced the records so she obviously had theme in mind or an idea in mind of how she wanted the album to sound and I think that was a big part of that was the deconstructed, looser, more experimental side of things that she hasn't been able to do in the past. Has anyone got any any info on the, the meaning of this? Like, Did anyone like dig into the lyrics and kind of get an overview of what the song's all about? It's funny you said overview then. I'd read that this is an overview for the entire album. So we've talked about concept albums a lot in the past and not got it right. I don't think we've had a concept album just yet, now that we're on album five. But this is actually a concept album. It does document falling in love, finding a relationship, a positive relationship, then that going sour, and then finding independence and acceptance. I heard that this was actually an overview for the entire album. Yeah, she describes it as a prologue. Like In terms of the way it's recorded, it sounds like it's just recorded so nicely and... Everything sounds like in its sweet spot. All the instruments just mm-hmm. sound exactly where they should be. And it's bitter sweet spot. Jeepers. Oh, <laughs> it, it is referencing that 70s era. Th- you know, that Isaac Hayes sample is from um, early 70s anyway. And it's not shying away from, from its influences, I don't think. No, not at all. I mean, she was influenced by a lot of stuff growing up. A lot of R&B, a lot of soul. This was actually a contender for a second album. Obviously, it didn't make it and became the opening track to this, so it obviously found its place in the long run. She describes it as a kind of realization that something in life has to change, and in that change, you kind of find a whole new self. I saw somewhere that she also wanted to write a song that started super low and had like a really nice, chilled vibe, Mm. and could go somewhere where she could absolutely belt a chorus. Oh, she kills it when she gets to it. Oh, my God. And actually... That being said, I've actually got a great little memory that Dan shared with us as well. Again, demoing Bittersweet at Sam's studio. Leanne was like, oh, let me do a vocal. And then it got to that chorus bit. I'd never heard her sing in the flesh, actually. And it got to that chorus bit where she belts out. And I was like, oh, it was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we're looking at Sam and we're like, wow. Too right. 100%. She does have an impeccable voice. Like the way she turns into that full belting voice from such a honest, vulnerable place, straight into that belt on the on the drop. It's so 
so powerful, man. It gives me goosebumps every time I listen to it. The way she described it in an interview I had as well, she said, when all your cells feel positive change, you find the ways to get color back. And I was thinking, oh, like bittersweet summer rain. It's such an amazing way to describe it. A great image, yeah. 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 You can see the rain coming down and all of that, um, you know, the steam when it when rain hits a hot road. Poetry in itself. That's one of my favorite smells, you know. Pe- petrichor. That's called petrichor. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Sorry, but, sorry to bring that one. Vocabulary uh, lessons with Chris yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, sorry about that. Um, a confident start to an album. It's it's not shy. It's so committed to, and I I love it. Like her voice, but the production and the backing vocals are amazing too. It reminds me of like Michael Kiwanuka, Love and Hate that album. There's there's so much of that strong backing vocals where they're really pushed forward, and I, I think it's incredible. She's not buried by it. She can absolutely hold it. It looks effortless when she's singing and and she's got the chops for it she does indeed yeah first single too yeah first single it's got a video and the, the video looks like it's being filmed by someone who's in love with that person it's really nice and warm and it sort of varies from when we get to uh, another video later on in the album so track one single one coming out swinging let's move on this is track two read my mind Track two, Read My Mind. It's got a feeling that, hasn't it? It's awesome, man. I love it. God. Co-written with Bruno Major. I think this is the point where the album starts to attach to its narrative. Mm -hmm. So imagine this is the start of the relationship. It feels like the the lyrics and the content seems to describe the first meeting. She describes it actually as the exciting feeling when you meet someone on a night out. It's that hazy excitement that you can't quite describe. Okay. Kind of meeting someone. And you've got all that like... In the chorus, oh my, it's love, nothing more. What are you waiting for? It's like she's just met someone, but it's that feeling of just, you you already know, you're just obsessed with that person from the minute you met them. <laughs> the first line is, I could make a baby tonight. So I think <laughs> I think they're fairly certain. Definitely, but that's, a, that's an interesting bit because it says, so right, could make a baby tonight, throw my life away. Oh, sure, sure. You got that and then it's flipping cheeky, isn't it? It grooves like mad. Yeah. That four, four to the floor on the kick drum Such is, a groove. is amazing. Mother of hell. Some killer melodies in here from her as well. That when a girl meets a boy moment where she where she just, where she just ramps. ramps it. Yeah, yeah. She's so in control of her own voice. Yeah, yeah. The pre-chorus as well has like an extra half a bar or something in, or, or a couple of bars in there as well. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not just four. It's not just going along. It's, it just has a has a little extension in there and it's, it makes for really interesting listening. And Dynamically, it just does so many things, this song. The way that instruments drop in and out mm-hmm. does so much for the vibe of the song. And it's funny, the way it's all done and the way the instruments are recorded, it just makes such an impact. Mm-hmm. You could have a song like this and produce it so far up with synths and keyboards and backing vocals, but it doesn't need that because of the way that the instruments cleverly come in and out. But if you go back to that, I like that you said that, if you go back to it and listen to the end with headphones on or something and, and really dive into it, there are these like synth swells that are building up just at the end into the outro. And there's this really cool ad lib bit that's so quiet where I guess it's her just just singing some stuff, like just in your right ear or something. It's really, really quiet. It's, it's almost inaudible, but it's all there. And, and that's what the end of this song does, which I find is really interesting. She starts throwing stuff at the song. The bass patterns loosen up a bit. Like I said, you get a bit more instrumentation. Backing vocals are piped in louder, mm-hmm. get bigger, probably more harmony in there as well. Yeah, everyone everyone's doing a lot more. Everyone's like just 
cut loose a bit. You don't notice it happening. It's not like a, a climb that you can sense. You just go with it. It happens so slowly that it just kind of takes you with it until you realize that it's all gone in a massive new direction. Mm -hmm. Really that, cool. That guitar sound as well. Do, do you know who I was thinking of when I was thinking of where that can come from? Prince, I think. Really? You know, she's got this connection to Prince and we will gloss over the fact that that's another connection that we have between all of these albums. That it's a link. Uh, that we've explored but Prince was a real advocate for her he, he like performed from a living room or something he was a mentor yeah he did yeah. a press conference from a living room everything yeah uh, you know she's she's got amazing praise from some real heavy hitters like yeah. Prince and Stevie Wonder and all sorts you know? she has a little factoid for you did you know she was on Prince's album no what was the album again it was the so the 2014 album that Prince released called Artificial Age yeah, that was it. she's on a bunch of tracks on that she sings backing vocals on a song called Clouds she sings backing vocals on I think it's called Way Back Home then there's three songs, no, there's two songs in there. The first one is called Affirmations 1 and 2, and the other one is called Affirmations 3. Right. And those two are spoken word, and it's just her under a bed of music without, like, her voice is so sultry. And she is given a character, the character on this concept album of Prince's. Her character was called Charlotte and Telepathy. Okay. And that was her kind of character in the album. And she's in and out of it, and it's really cool, man. And yeah, he was, like, a big mentor for her and a big part of her career. Yeah. When and he died, when did he die? 2016? 2016, yeah. So she, she'd wished he'd have been able to have heard this album because this is yeah, the album right. that represents her the most, isn't it? This is the one yeah. that she, she stamped her name yeah. on and is the subject of her creative vision with her friends. With... I've, I've never thought about it like that in terms of like a self-titled album. You're stamping your name on it. And she did it with purpose. So from the second she released a second album, she knew the third album was going to be self-titled. The first and second album, she let the label do too much dictating of how it should sound. And she inevitably felt like it wasn't enough of a representation of her. So when it came to the third album and she proven herself for the label, she got kind of full creative freedom and was like, this is going to be the self-title. This is going to be the album that is unfiltered, unimposed on. And I think that comes across really, really well. Um, so yeah, let's move on. This is track three, Green Papaya. Track three, Green Papaya. Welcome to my favorite track on the album. Don't, the one. don't say that because this is mine too. You copied is me it? anyway. Yeah. yeah, You copycat. My it's not yours though, word. is it? Not mine. No, no, no. Okay. It's a great song, but not my favorite. I adore this song. It makes me happy and sad and yep. filled with emotion and all sorts. I, I think it's perfect. Can I give you a little... Oh, I'm going to give you a fact. Screw it. Here I'm going to give you a fact. Ladies and gentlemen. Hold on to your seat. Introducing. The title green papaya represents the fruit. And did you know a green papaya, as in an unripe one, has aphrodisiac powers? Need to get more green papaya in my diet. Need I say yeah. more than that? Papaya. Papai. Sexual powers aside on that one, the sound of this is incredible. It's all watery and chorusy, and it sounds again like an album that, that I've talked about with Prince. So it, it ties together Leanne, Prince, and Joni Mitchell, this um, Hegira album, which mm -hmm. I would love to bring. I will, I really will bring it because if it keeps coming up like this, it, it will deserve to be brought. It's asking for it. It really is. And I was so pleased when she mentioned it in an interview, that mm -hmm. album itself. Do you remember, Charlie, I was talking about Jaco Pistorius, the bass player? That's where this falls in. And it's it's almost like it's an uncomfortable, unstable listen. And that's what a lot of those 
songs on Heijira sound like as well. And a lot of them don't have drums as well. She was, she made a big point of not wanting drums on this. They recorded a drum track for this. Did, did yeah. you yeah. tried it? Yeah, yeah. I listened to another podcast, funny enough, about this and they played it back. They played the part back. Okay. And actually, she was like, shit, this is actually a bit of a vibe. No, nah, I'm no, no, Leanne. No, exactly. But she said, I tried to add drums to Green Papaya, but they detached from the song. I wanted to be able to hear everything I felt and heard the first day I made the song with Sam. I had to learn a new guitar part in order to make the song exist, to even come up with a melody. We tried to take away buzzing of the guitar using some plugin. We tried to redo the vocals, but that made it not what it was. Yeah. I just had to go back to what it was. Yeah. Love that. And this is a DI'd electric guitar as well. Yeah. I saw her just flicking through videos. I saw her on a Fender video where she's playing these acoustic sonic guitars. Oh, they're guitars. amazing as well. I didn't think I'd be sold on them, but this sounds like it was recorded through that. It wasn't, it wasn't, but it sounds like It does sound that. like that. And she says, like, she's playing a part on it. I'm not sure what song she's playing on it. Mm. She's like, it literally sounds like this part was made for this guitar, which yeah. is in that video. Yeah. yeah. Those guitars are actually sound really cool. Yeah, I, I don't know. And all the knobs are made of wood and stuff. It's all very, it's all a bit la-di-da, but it's nice. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You know, there's a there's a key change in this song. Do you know that there's a key change in it? Is there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The like the bridge bit where she finishes up on the chorus. She finishes on that real like mysterious sounding chord. Oh yeah, she does. And then she begins an, an entire chorus, but starting on that chord, which I love when that happens in songs anyway, where you don't even know that's happened. There's a Bonnie Vare song called Towers that I shamelessly ripped off and had to become a songwriter of sorts, which uh, was very short lived and didn't ever go anywhere. It was just for university. But yeah, there's a Bon Iver song called Towers that does the same thing. And you don't, what it is, you don't realize that you're listening to something that is the same, but it might just be slightly different in a, in a different key, up like a tone or yeah, down. Yeah. And I didn't realize on the Bon Iver song until I went back to the start and I was like, hang on, why am I singing the end chorus different to the first one? Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. notice it happened and it happens in this one here. So there is a key change in there and then it goes back to the original key went for the final... Uh, seamlessly as well. Well, it helps inspire a lift in the song. If anything, you probably notice it more at the end when you're returning rather than when the, the key change is being made. Yeah, yeah. She, she talks about that that part you're talking oh, about she? before. She calls it the question chord. Yeah, it's uncertain, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It yeah. needs resolve and it kind of, yeah. It's interesting because if you don't think about key changes, if you don't know about them, you just allow them to emotionally affect you. When you listen to songs, like classic pop songs always use it as a trait to like, in the middle eight of the song, they'll do a whole key change section. And you wonder why you feel so energized by it and so goosebumped with it. Like Lionel Richie songs did it, Phil Collins songs did it, Michael Jackson songs did it. Everything had these key changes in. To the normal listener, you would be like, oh, this just feels so good, but you don't know why. And it's normally a key change. They're so powerful as, as, as tools. And her guitar work in this song is just amazing. Oh, I've tried incredible. playing it, man. I've, I've tried playing it and it's, it's a stretch. The way she plays it is an absolute stretch. That, that leads me nicely on to my friend Dan C. Actually had a little comment about this tune as well. He's back. He's back. He's, he's back. Dan is back. On the tracks that I did, it was, it was Leanne and, and Benny. She's such an amazing musician. She's got such an uh, incredible ear. And she's got such a strong vision. That she does. That she bloody does. Agreed, Dan C. She really does. like, and, and you can feel it in the music. You can feel how purposeful she is with everything. Some things sound loose, some things sound tight. And she does that with resolve, not lack of technique or anything like that. And when you see a play, like she's done all these different things, like the Tiny Desk from Home concert she did is just her and a nylon guitar. And all of the parts are just so perfectly played. And she's just so, she's just so amazing with it, man. It's great. She's such an amazing musician. And you say that singers sound a bit loose here and there, but it's all intentional to make the song feel a certain way which is really cool yeah it's really vulnerable as yeah. a song and it, like you say it doesn't have the drums it leaves her wide open 
and you have those massive like gospel backing vocals behind it. That just oh man, the, the backing so, vocals and yeah, it's just so powerful. And it's that gospel thing. It's the supporting harmonies rather than the the musical harmonies. Mm-hmm. That they they fatten her up rather than make her into a chord. Really, sure. really impressive songwriting. Hang on, where are we at with the concept of this album on this song? Then we're still in it, aren't we? We're still in. She's in love now. Yeah. So in terms of the narrative, she is now found that person. She's with that person, and this is the kind of honeymoon period in the relationship where it's like let's go home and make real love it's all very like the can't get enough of each other vibe and the green papaya being the aphrodisiac it's like this is where we just literally getting it out so this is you being enamored by somebody and yeah uh, Yeah. okay the bass part is on a moog sub 37 and i know you both know that i'm probably smiling because i own that synthesizer charlie's got two of those i've got um, two of those i'm sure one will be up for auction on ebay after this podcast he's now trying to profile his ebay listings so I'm going to cut him off on trying to sell all of his used gear. Guys, give me a shout, give me a shout, because I can, I can recreate the sound. Um, <laughs> this is, this, is, this yeah. is track this four, can't fight. Charlie, leave your Please call me, door. please call me, please call me. That was track four, Can't Fight. Ten points for this one, Charlie. Hapax Lagongmanon. He's loved it. Hapax Lagongmanon. Uncanny, uncanny. What a cool song. What a cool song. Uh, last single from the album, I believe. Was this last a single? single? Is that right? mm-hmm. Didn't know that. Yep, there you go. Uh, featured on Michelle Obama's podcast playlist in 2020. Oh, the dream. The Obama list. No the dream. shit. If you make it on that, you know you're fucking... There's probably two Obama lists. One good, one bad. Bar- Barack. Oh, do you think Barack's is terrible? Well, no, he's got a... You, well, he's got you a know, podcast he's got, with Bruce Springsteen. He's got to do yeah. some bad things as well as a president. Well, I know for a fact that one of his favorite artists is Esperanza Spalding. Really? He's, oh, he's, she keeps coming up in this in the research for he, this. She's played a lot at the White House when he was in um, office. Have you seen her sing and play bass, man? What do you mean? Have I? Oh, you, what what song do I always <laughs> play when I'm sound checking? Do you? Dum, dum. He never plays that. He plays I do play that as well. Esperanza Spalding. I know you know. I'm going to put that on the playlist. All it's right. going in the playlist, people. She is a sick bass player. How the f- how she sings, like, sings and plays those lines. Playing bass and singing is not cool. <laughs> it's not easy. It's, it's easy. Tell that to Victor Wooten. <laughs> Get him on the blower. Bloody love Victor. <laughs> yeah, call Vic, will you show? Hang on, we're going off on a tangent here. We are going off on a tangent. Can't so, fight. Can't fight. What a great song, man. Like, it feels so happy, but it has very serious themes going through it. It feels like at this point in the narrative, things are starting to take a turn for the worse, or she's starting yeah. to spot red flags in the relationship. Carl, I think you mentioned when we were just delightfully ribbing Charlie there, you mentioned Wolfpack, because that was actually a, a reference point on this song. This is where some of this came from. It's, it's co-produced by Muramasa, and mm-hmm. this song in particular. Her and him were listening to Wolfpack as a reference for this. Really? So, yeah, it's, it's unintentional it link of the week. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. There you yeah. go. Yeah, and so we got links. I know in, what you're we trying got, to say. We got in episode links. We've got multifaceted links across the entire podcast. I know what you're trying to say, and you're welcome. All right. <laughs> um, the instrumentation again, I love on this the, that guitar sound again. I, I don't That's know how... so boxy. I wouldn't even know where to start on that. Take it out of the box. Yeah, I can't tell if it's specific type of guitar i'd love to know it's such a live sounding track as well i thought and i know that this album has quite a lot of that and it feels like that but i thought this track in particular sounded very live so oh, really? you guys got that same yeah. 
Yeah. From what I could gather from hearing her talk about the production of the album and the way it came about, a lot of the songs were played live in some capacity in the room. And then once they captured the moment and captured the theme of the song, they started to kind of overlay in a couple of bits and redo in certain parts. That for me would be the coolest way to track anything. It should be the only way, especially if it you've got be a the connection only way. with the band. If you've got a connection with you and your band, put it all together and play it. Surely, surely that's the way to record an album. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Really? Do you well, think, I don't think it has no, the same pl- emotion as a performance. But I'd like to do it note by note. I'm, I'm playing Ding. devil's advocate a bit, but you know. Al Pacino. <laughs> we're assigned to a certain way of making things because that's the things that we deem to be correct, isn't it, really? It's a bit of that, isn't it? Yeah, but to get a product like this out of working that way is a good sign that things can be done differently. Yeah, I think there's better examples of a live sounding band later on, especially there's um, oh, definitely. Sometimes it just sounds like there's a microphone in the room almost. Yeah, yeah. But with here, the, the band do sound on fire. They do that thing again in this song where there's a load of strings hammered in at the end that gradually thickening everything. And they're gorgeous. I think they yeah. were recorded in Copenhagen. This is the first time in any of her music that she has used strings. Really? She, she doesn't normally use strings at all, but she just felt like, because this song was really happy and animated and almost kind of cartoonish, she describes them. She wanted something to create some balance between the seriousness of the the lyric and the song mm-hmm. and the animated kind of happy feeling she'd given it musically. Okay. So the strings came in as a kind of bed to facilitate that. Mm. So that's kind of how that went. Um, let's move on to track five. This is Paper Thin. Paper Thin If you're trying to That was track five, Paper Thin. This is the first song she wrote for the album. Is it? So this was the first song written for the album. Oh. She was basically just about to go to sleep and could hear the chords in her head. And she was like, do I get up and record this? Or do I just, do I just hope that I remember it tomorrow? Anyway, she got up, played the chords, and all she could think in her mind lyrically was Paper Thin. And she kept singing that over and over. Mm-hmm. And all the, all the guitar parts were already in her head. She could feel them. And she just kept it. And every time she would get some space to herself, like on an airplane or something like that, she would write more lyrics to it and hear it in her head and almost paint this canvas in the head of the song. And then she took all of that to the studio and it all came from a jam. She was just playing the chords and the band all kind of filled in the parts behind her and they tracked it. So this was the first song technically written for the album. Great tune. I put like timeless and beautiful and Parisian. I put as one of the things. Did you? Feel that? Yeah, yeah. Funny enough. The Amelie soundtrack. Yeah, Totally. It reminds me of the first time that I heard Leanne Le Havas ever, which was when she was walking through the streets of Paris, singing a song called No Room for Doubt. It's a really great video if you haven't watched it. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. But um, yeah, it's wicked. But it kind of had that same back to her and a guitar vibes. You not think when you hear that song, when she's walking through Paris and you've got all of the street noise and the people talking and like she's walking by restaurants and stuff like that. And people are referencing the fact that she's there and, and stuff like that. I feel like a lot of this album has that quality where it almost exists in an environment. Flipping great shout. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's very approachable because it feels like you're almost there with it. Yeah, this this is the song that leads that uh, because, it's, because it is so unpolished almost, isn't it? You know, her voice is cracking here and there and her voice is paper thin, you know, that's... I'm sure that's a creative decision. She did, I know that she recorded it when she was really tired and sick, I think. And she decided not to re-record the vocals because this, I guess this is a a relationship 
on its last edge, I guess it's about to, it's about to disappear. To talk about what you just said about things being unpolished and all the way through the album, you have these little kind of moments where you can hear her addressing the band or at the very end of the last song, Sour Flower, where she kind of laughs at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And there's all these minor inconsistencies that she's left fly. In something I read, she references a concept, a Japanese concept, which is called Wabi Sabi. So that's name. So that's name. And it's the idea that perfection is found in imperfection which is why she kind of leaves all those little laughs and parts in there, which is a really cool concept that That's she's really cool. acknowledged and she, she ran with that idea. In terms of where the narrative gets to at this point, it's again showing some cracks in the relationship, people starting to close off in the relationship and starting to be more cagey with their emotions and your heart's wide open, just give me the other key. It feels like the relationship's starting to take a turn at this point. But I think that's also reflected in the instrumentation. The way that this song is put together is really sparse, especially the guitar parts and things are way less accurate. And sometimes a chord is slid into slightly wrong or slightly sharp and hits the wrong notes and things like that. Almost coming apart at the seams. Yeah, and if you compare this drum track to bittersweet and it it is a different drummer i know we've talked about dan c but the drummer on this is a guy called homer steinweiss or steinweiss Uh, he's played with the menahan street band charles bradley lee fields that sort of area of older more established singers and those that are really going in on the authenticness of that sound it's a lot less showy it's really sat back in the groove the drum the drum part and i think that's just a great representation of the foundations of the uh, relationships falling apart it, it doesn't sound as driven it sounds way more happy to let leanne make less attempts at being perfect yeah and it's just there it's just sort of like going okay yeah yeah just just pulling it through and um i yeah i just think it's a really nice way to embody like fragility and and what is i guess ultimately going to be loss in in the subject of the song Mm -hmm. we'll move on to track six which is an interlude which is called out of your mind and this is just a minute long track and it serves as the exact middle point on the album and starts to move it's like the second half of the album is the breakup and the kind of post breakup emotions and that kind of stuff so this really does serve a purpose although it's short giving the album a middle point and a reset point and the next chapter of of the group of songs so yeah this is track six the interlude called out of your mind So there it is that's track six the interlude and the the transitional piece from side a to side b and you know chapter one to chapter two in my opinion of the story of this she said in a interview with annie mack she said it's going from a good place in a relationship to the more foreboding and serious stage oh but it's like a an inner monologue piece isn't it she's saying the same thing over and over yeah but it's all kind of layered on top of each other yeah, yeah. it's as if She's saying this to herself within her mind. All these, all these words are, are swirling around in, in within her mind. I think mm-hmm. that's how I that's how I hear it. And and then as well, you know, something that we didn't talk about with Paper Thin is that the interlude is tacked onto the end of the video as well. So they must be related. You know, Paper Thin must be displaying the end of the relationship. And then when we get to this interlude, it's it's very clearly that transitional period or the, or the cutoff point for saving that relationship. The video itself, anyway is a stark contrast to the bittersweet one because in bittersweet it's filmed by someone who you assume is in love with that person 
Paper Thin is filmed again by another person. It's almost documenting the relationship. But within that video, she, she barely looks at the camera. She barely shows any interest in the person that's filming her. So I guess that is a visual representation of the relationship coming to an end. Uh, you know, she burns a load of flowers in it as well and all, the, all these things. And she, she generally feels disinterested or seems disinterested. So then after that interlude, we flip into side B of the album, which is where things have definitely taken a turn for the worse. And we start confronting different emotions, moving away from the emotions of love and honeymoon periods and all that stuff and going into the more darker sides of relationships. So yeah, let's move into track seven, which is a cover, a Radiohead cover, and this song is called Weird Fishes. That was track seven, Weird Fishes. Like I said on the top, a Radiohead cover. No, I'm going to take that. <laughs> well, all I can think about is that I have actually seen a weird fish before. <laughs> have you seen weird fish? Yeah, before? guppy fish in Cornwall when I was a young enough. Guppies are mad, aren't they? Yeah, but I used to go uh, fishing with my sister in a, like this weird rock pool set up. I don't know why it was weird, but it was. And uh, I used to cut, catch guppy fishes but i was too scared to take them off the hooks well can you get guppies in the world yeah that's yeah, why I'm, I, right. I thought you were like i used to go fishing with my my sister in a in my in my mate's front room in a fish no, tank no we'd get these guppies out and they would just be going absolutely batshit crazy and my sister would have to take them off the hooks i was too scared man i thought guppies were just like machine made fish that you just catch and like nothing like that lives in the sea they bloody do are we thinking of the same fish probably not if you're saying right pull up a guppy fish right. gosh now, let's talk about the song while Charlie looks for guppy fish. So that was a cover, a Radiohead cover that Leanne decides to bring in. From what I can gather, the reason she put that on the album was because at the time she couldn't really write anything that represented these emotions in the way that that song did, especially having her own version of it. So they just went ahead and recorded it and put that in. And it does illustrate the point we're at in the album and the point we're at in the relationship to talk about the way it was recorded because this was the first song they'd ever played together as the new band, as the new arrangement mm -hmm. of people. And, and I think that's been quite important in the formula of this album. I think this album, if that session didn't go well, I don't think this album would have the same musicians on it, maybe, or it'd be approached in the same way. Mm. And they recorded a live session of it at uh, 123 Studios in London, which became the official music video for the song. So if you go look for the music video for this song, you'll see them all in that room. So that same band, different take, is it? Uh, so same band, same take, but Leanne redid her vocals right. in an overdub because obviously she's got the drum kit right okay. behind her. It would just yeah, be yeah. a nightmare to mix. So that take that you see on the official music video is the take that happened there and then. And then they overdub Leanne's vocals and put it on the album. Hang on, I'm just getting something in on my earpiece. Somebody's looking a bit restless in the room here about... <sighs> so restless. Okay, Gubbies. guys, I have, to, I, have to, I have to call myself out on this one. Goby fish. Goby. A goby fish. Mm -hmm. What does that look uh, like? It looks a bit like this, Carl. They look even more insane. What the fuck? I know. Oh, look at the state of that. I know, exactly. That's why I was so scared to take off the hook. Oh my God, look <laughs> yeah. at that fucking but thing. But like, I, I was a young nipper and this little guy was on the end of my line. Are they ears or hands? Uh, who, kno <laughs> who knows? <laughs> no, I like that you haven't gone for fins or anything. It's ears or hands on that fish. Hands, fins, you know. I'll uh, put a link to the uh, goby Jesus. fish in the Yeah, well, the we'll playlist. put that in the show notes. Everyone look at it. I mean, obviously it's going to come with a trigger warning if you've ever seen a slug in your life. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got to think about slugs, don't look at, at goby fish or whatever the fuck they're called. Um, 
but yeah, so this was the first time the band had played together in the same room. Put this track down. Obviously, all fell in love with the take of it. Everything Leanne describes how much she loves the whole kind of halftime arrangement, and that's her big thing. Um, but yeah, first time in with the band. It shouldn't have worked in in my eyes, you know. Like, As a song? Well, number one, this is a concept album. So she's finding a song that fills a gap in the album, as you put it, that she decides to not write herself. That's a task in itself, curating the running of your album. But also, like, we're talking about Radiohead, like one of the most one of the most influential bands in British music history, yep. world music history, however you want to look at it. That's probably unarguable. Core devoted fan base it's dangerous to cover this song more than anything and also when you go back to that song that song's really dry really really dry the drum sound especially it's like in a vacuum almost but it kind of has to be because it's in it's in full time and so there wouldn't be enough space yeah, that's a good to, point. to have reverbs and stuff on it i think that song although the instrumentation is dry talking about the original version although the instrumentation is dry the song is so fast-paced and there's so much going on that it kind of has to be dry for everything to sit in a place i mean does this sound like a Radiohead song post the original like if I'd never heard the Radiohead version before hearing this and you said to me tell me a band that you think could write this song I could have a million guesses and mm. not say Radiohead yeah mm. great yeah but knowing the original and knowing a couple of other people that have covered it like Umphreys McGee did a cover of it and it's so it's so good I know it's a mental band mm. name but yeah it's so good and it's been covered a few times and I think it's a quite a it's no mean feat to cover this song because it's held so closely by the Radiohead community, especially because it's so emotional. Yeah, Leanne said that the lyrics resonate with her a lot. She wasn't sure what Tom York was getting at, but it was the, the sense of escape in this song that led her to really connect with it. Okay. Yeah. Now, putting putting that into the narrative, fitting that into the narrative of like escapism and kind of a death of something. It talks about death, but it implies death where it's like eaten by weird fishes and kind of yeah. consumed by weird fishes and stuff. It's like the death of something. And for this part of the album to start signifying the death of a relationship, the poignance of the lyric, I understand why it's like, why reinvent the wheel when something is already so perfect? Yeah, well said, What Jeff. you're trying to say. There was a lyric in it, obviously, that is, um, oh yeah, everybody leaves if they get the chance, and this is my chance. Yeah. Which is perfect. I, that gives me goosebumps just you reading it out. It's like, it's such a powerful song, it really is. Yeah. And this is such a really good version, and I'm sure that if Tom York has heard it, which I assume he has, he would be... I think he would sign off on it oh, because it is so. so good. But when we get around um, to Sour Flower at the end, I'd love for that to be traded back to Radiohead. I'll talk about why when we get to it, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to see it, you know, like when, you know, when you um, put like a sentence in, in another language in Google Translate and then you translate it and then you translate it back the other way and it comes out completely different. I'd love for this to be treated that way. So Leanne gets weird fishes and then... Radiohead gets sour flower. Yeah. And a bit I'd like Wife Swap on BBC Three. Basically, Brew. yeah. Got you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Is that what you've been doing in Lucky Day? Just got, just looking up translations for stuff? No, I've been wife swapping. Oh. Stop trying to, stop trying to make Lucky Day a thing, man. <laughs> no, Lucky Day was a thing. I've Hashtag Lucky Day. Hashtag Lucky Day. Um, Radiohead are, are such a certain band that it, I just find it really fascinating. It has worked so well. This is this is one of my highlights on the album. I didn't really want to bring this in as a highlight because I didn't want to demean Leanne's writing, and, you know, I, I, talent. Yeah. But this feels different and possesses a certain place in the album that must have been a really difficult find, but also like props to them for doing it. You know, massively. Like I have so much admiration for someone who can put their own ego to one side enough. To be like, I have something that I need to say. Yeah. I can't write a better song than this person who's who's said it for me. Yeah. So I'm just going to cover it. Yeah. I'm going to give them the publishing rights and just be like, thank, this is the one. I'm going to put this on. 
I appreciate Alex. you saying that, Carl. I mean, um, when I was in a band with Chris Bunt, we um, we covered a few, and the personal <laughs> one I selected was a song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers called P, and um, it really represented really represented <laughs> what you were feeling at the time. What I was feeling at the time because you so, were just playing it on your own, <laughs> I was pl- and I was playing it on my own. So um, demanded everybody else to fuck off the stage. So uh, yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. Let's um, let's just talk about the band though, anyway, because we've alluded to the fact that this was really important in finding the sound for the album, and it does sound like that. It's one of the most exciting sounding songs, I think. It sounds the most live. It is. It is live for the most part, but it. But it does sound exciting. It sounds like it's got a, a whole heap of energy in there, doesn't it? I've got a quote from her actually that said, "I had the most wonderful, nourishing experience recording that." She said, "Weird Fish's session informed the recording sessions for the rest of the album. That's where I decided the rest of the album needs to be like this. I've got to be with my band, and I've got to do it in London whenever people have time." Love that. Yeah. So Love I suppose that. that confirms everything we've just been talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. It shows the importance of of having a band that you can put a lot of trust in and... yeah because people forget like leanne and and other artists like this and other artists will bring in like even snail mail to an extent are solo artists mm-hmm. the yeah. solo artists who play an instrument and sing so you have to to put trust in all these people and to make a cohesive body of work whilst having different musicians in every day different producers in every day which happens a lot to create a consistent sound without just hodgepodge and things that sound similar together yeah. is really difficult. So to find a band that you can trust enough to represent you, because at the end of the day, it's your name on the album. The band can could do a terrible job and no one would ever really, the public would never really know. So she has to have some trust in these people. And I guess this was the defining moment for her where she was like, I love these people and I love how it's working. And I think I'm going to love this album. I could talk about this one all day, but I'm happy if you want to go on to... Please don't make me cry. Yeah. This is track eight. Please don't make me cry. That was track eight. Please don't make me cry. Please, for the love of God, don't make me cry. Don't make him cry. I've seen it before. It's not pretty. Yeah, it's not It's not pretty. It's not big and it's not clever. <laughs> it's a personal favourite of a friend of ours who got in touch, Alice. Alice. Alice Asbury. Good Hello, Alice. Alice. Hello, Alice. We miss you. What a gal. She said, I love this Leanne Le Havas album. Made me smile when I, when I saw you were doing an episode on it. It was pretty much my go-to for all of autumn. Loved Please Don't Make Me Cry. There's a really beautiful piano session on Radio 1 of it, which I would recommend. So go out there and find that. We'll link to it. Also said, I suggest you guys take a listen to the song Woman by Neo, which also features Leanne from last summer. It's a great tune. I think you guys would like it. Dreamy vocals all around. So thanks for getting in touch on that one, Alice. And hopefully we'll see you for that pint soon. This one's at the top of your list near, near yep, enough. This is Tell. definitely one of my favorites on the album. It's a toss-up between this and Bittersweet. When I made the notes for the album... Please Don't Make Me Cry was my favorite. Throughout today, when I was listening to it just a few times before we came into the show, Bittersweet took over just because of those drops just before the No More Hanging Around bit. But this is definitely a tied first. It's, it's a banger. For me, it was just more straight down the line of a tune. Yeah, I mean, it's a loop. Yeah, I put in my notes, it kind of feels hip-hop-like or R&B in its feel in terms uh-huh. of it's a looped song. And after listening to the songs before this, I just it didn't do it for me in comparison. It's interesting how this song came about because she wrote it with a guy called Nick Hakim, who she describes as one of the best songwriters out there. 
She says she always obviously grew up with the R&B influences and she was a massive fan of Lauren Hill and all that stuff. And she references her so much in interviews. And what had happened is that she'd reached a bit of a, a lull in a creative output. And so she decided to fly to New York to work with Nick Hakim and garner some inspiration from him. And she describes how they got together and just the song just came out to them. Initially, it was very stripped back, but then everything that Nick put into the song, be that the organ sounds or the road sounds or the guitar parts, she said everything he added felt right, so she just kept it. So in the end, it sounded like a very thick, layered song, but still worked for her. So this became one of her favorites on the album because it was at a point where she was creatively struggling, flew to New York, met with Nick, and you know, this just fell out. It's um, the drums for me as well. With the R&B and hip hop vibe in mind, they feel really interesting because it sounds like a live drummer that's been cut up and resampled, mm -hmm. which I thought was super interesting because it makes it sound like a hip hop record, even though the drums are much more live sounding, which I yeah, thought was really cool. Like a one bar phrase just looped around. And yeah. a lot of it's looped, you know, I think they built it in a kind of Ableton way where they just keep playing one bar loops and building it up and then she sung over it and it, and it got its own part. I think when we, when we just had it on the background earlier, we were talking about Questlove and maybe The Roots and it's like that thing maybe like a uh, hip hop inspired but with live instrumentation. Yeah, it would be so out of character for the album to now start using reprocessed yeah. samples. She stayed true to the album by using live instruments, but just instead of playing an entire four minute song on one take, she's cut it up and, and made yeah. it into something new, which is really cool, man. It's a new exploration and it's definitely something that comes from inspiration from her growing up. Also, Jordan Raquet did a, a really cool remix for this song, which is definitely worth checking out. He did it for her and it was released. It's really cool. I've got some parts of this song that I really do like, although I'm sort of with Charlie in that it doesn't necessarily occupy one of my top spots here on the album, but there's some amazing moments on this song. The release in the bridge is so nice. There's this amazing bit with this built uh, harmony in the background from it when we're in the bridge. It reminds me of Thundercat in the, them changes. Oh, cool. It's got an amazing bit of that. And then it's almost like swelling into this darkness. And then there's a little turnaround with this really tinkly piano almost tinkly synth mm -hmm. that um, has this amazing echo and delay on it and that's my favorite bit one of my favorites of the album actually and then they also around that as well they also go into like a false ending yeah yeah, yeah. Where it feels yeah. like it's about to to finish and, and it, it almost resolves it almost yeah. becomes happiness and contentness and then the drums come back in but this song has a struggle like that and i think that's representative because the lyric in terms of spinning this back into the narrative the whole please don't make me cry part it's again dealing with the the lasting moments of the relationship where they're kind of struggling and it's getting very emotional and getting very sad it's very emotionally bipolar mm -hmm. at this point the end like you say where it does that false ending where it sounds very happy you're like oh maybe this is going to end on a good note and it goes back into that sadder place but yeah definitely fits in the album it's so well placed in terms of where we're at in the relationship and the narrative up to this point. So with all of that being said, let's move on to track nine, which is called Seven Times. You didn't pay your rent, so I guess you'll be leaving. You made promises that you won't be keeping. Oh, you can't spend my love. I'm living for free now. What do you used to be? Okay, that was track nine, seven times. Um, I'm just going to reel off a few facts for you guys because there's quite a few on this that I have. Why break the habit of a lifetime, Charlie? <sighs> Here come the facts, guys. And this time I'm bringing them with force. Um, so it's the only tune that was written in a day or two from scratch. And it was written in real world studios in Bath, which is... Local, local. Local, local. Just up the road. Have you been there or not? No. I've been there. 
It's yeah, you went with university, off. didn't you? Yeah, I did. And Peter Gabriel, it's his studio. He's got a little outhouse studio up in the, almost like up in the woods and we walked up to it. It's the most insane little... Was he in? He wasn't there. He wasn't there. Dappy was in, but not... Um... No, no. <laughs> it really <laughs> was Dappy recording that, that day. Really? Yeah. Also, sorry, one, one more thing, which I thought was really cool. So she'd woken up that morning in the... Because there's obviously accommodation in that studio too, which is really cool. It's an amazingly tranquil little spot outside of Bath. And that morning she'd been listening to Milton Nascimento mm-hmm. and Destiny's Child. Mm-hmm. And this was the this is what was given birth to after that. Yeah, because Nelson Nascimento is a Brazilian artist, mm-hmm. right? Like a samba. Yeah, exactly. Tropicalia. Tropicalia, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect merge of R&B and that Tropicalia Brazilian samba music. And this is one of my favorites as well. Yeah, me too. And in terms of narrative, seems to be the breakup moment. Everything's done now. And you've got the, I guess you'll be leaving and all that stuff. It's kind of over. The third act of this album, though, is about her regaining herself out of the back of a relationship, I guess. Yeah, kind of re-falling in love with yourself. Yeah. And maybe that's where that that Destiny's Child influence comes in. Ladies, leave your man at home. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Tell him, chef. She comes in and she says, you didn't pay your rent, so I guess you'll be leaving. Get get the hell out, yeah. Get out. and Rightly so. Rightly so. Get out. Here's one for you. I don't know if this is true or not, and I actually don't know how to say the word, which is really embarrassing. In a Bible, what is the, it's spelled P-S-A-L-M. Psalms. Psalm. Yeah, right? Oh, oh, so God. apparently this is, the, the name of this song is taken from a Psalm, 119. I heard that. But I don't know if I believe it. It feels like a stretch. Thank you, yeah. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. And I read that and I was like, I don't know. I, I get it. I did see that too. And I was like, oh, you know what? Yes, yeah, I feel like, there are going to be natural connotations to everything. Yeah, and So whether she was inspired by that or not, but it is interesting nonetheless. Um, she describes this song as her blue cantrell moment, like her kind of very, I don't need no man moment. She describes it as the ongoing process of self-care and getting back on your feet after a bad thing, which in this case seems to be a breakup. There you go. Blue cantrell, Sean Paul. Blue cantrell. Oh, I love that. Shan Napal. You... Um, drums in this song again. Massive shout out to Dan C. There's a, a Jamie Woon session that I talked to Dan about in his interview that I did with him. And it's such an amazing live performance. And this song really reminded me of it, which I really think you should go and check out. I'll put it in the show notes, obviously. The album's so well recorded. Such a groove, this. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It really is. And when I talked to Dan, it was very clear about how clear Leanne's vision was for what she wanted to hear and the way the album was recorded. I remember for seven times she came in and Eve, the bass player, and I were, we just did some takes. And she was like, it sounds too perfect. We need to mess it up. It, yeah, it got to the point. I was like, how can I mess this up and make it even more, even, it pushed me to be kind of a bit weird with it. Um, but that's what she she likes. She likes the personality. I think you can sense that across the whole album as well, that she's very much owning the album and owning the creation of it. For sure. Sure. Before we leave talking about those drums, I love how um propelling they are. They're just like there's so much kick drum in it. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what the main bit of it is that really makes it flow like that. There's there's another there's a D'Angelo song like that called A Thousand Deaths. It's that that does that on Black Messiah. It's that Solid. It's a solid groove. Yeah, undeniably catchy groove, but almost sloppy and running around the beat all the time. You know, that's my favorite part of this song as well as the, the actual feel. I mean, talking about that Brazilian influence as well. It's, it's, you can feel it, can't you? Especially in the sound of the guitar. Yeah, it's almost like a celebration song, really. Like this, Which a feels, lot of that music is. Yeah, it feels like, it feels like that. It feels like a realisation of a thing. And, 
and again regaining yourself out out of a relationship definitely 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 yeah totally agree with that there's also that that cool snare sound isn't there yeah it's really um, cool i believe that is dan with a hi-hat on the snare drum oh on the um on the bit that sounds like a reverse snare yeah I mean. exactly yeah yeah I, be- I remember him him mentioning that Maybe that's oh, what's done and then it's kind of a reverse reverb on it that makes it give it that snap on the way in. No, do you know what? I, I think it isn't. I think it's I think it's a technique of his. It, really? They, yeah. they they mention it in another interview uh, on this podcast I was listening to and they, they're like, Dan does this amazing thing with the symbols. So I I believe that it is a, just a technique. Let's get him back on the line. Dan, we're calling you in. We're Dan. calling you yeah. in, bro. Dan. No, I'm joking. Um, Hello? Yeah. Oh, there he is again. Dan, nice to have you on. I don't know um, why you sound like Paul McCartney. <laughs> Hello. 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 I invented drums. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. that's, a, that's a real up song right at the top there, but it only hangs around for this song though, doesn't it really? It like, does. Yeah. I mean, the next one is quite an empowering song, but yeah, she's definitely got a lot of confidence in this song. And after the relationship soured, she's like, yeah, no, I'm done with this and you need to get the hell out of my uh, place. Yeah. Super interesting melody, amazing delivery, amazing creative choices. Like how you would come up with a melody like that and put it in there. It's just incredible. Fuck lads. We haven't even talked about jazz flute. Oh, oh there is a jazz shit. flute in there, isn't there? How often do you get to talk about flute? Is it? I, I read that it was cut up and put together. But no, I don't, I don't reckon so. No, I think there's a guy in there with a suit with the white collars of his shirt sticking on oh, the bottom yeah. of the jacket. He's got one of those really thin mustaches like the guy from the Adams family. And he pulls, this, he pulls it out of his sleeve like um, Ron Burgundy and Anchorman and just starts nailing. There's, there's no mic in the room and they have no idea how it got into the desk, but it did somehow. And there's a track just there with it with no microphone. There you go. And then he just, <laughs> and then he just floated out like a Santa up a chimney, just blasted out the room. That sounds about right. Well, well Gareth, Gareth Lockrain, if you are listening, the flautist <laughs> on, on this one, um, please get in touch. If, if Carl hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, Ga- I, Gaz, um, if I can call you Gaz, hope you don't mind. Um, let us know how that went down. I feel like I've nailed it. So if it's right, don't get in touch. <laughs> if you don't get in touch, we'll assume that I'm correct. So um, whilst we wait for your message to come flying in, which I assume it will just appear in the desk like your flute part did on this song, <laughs> let's move on to track 10, which is Courage. That was track 10, Courage. What a beautiful Absolutely, number. man. This is like so up there for me. This could easily be placed on Grace by Jeff Buckley. Ah. I Got real Jeff Buckley vibes from it. The haunting guitar and the real delicate vocal and some of the melodies. But do you think then by association with what he's doing on some of the stuff that is in this vein, he's harking back to sort of 60s powerhouse female vocalists. This is almost where that sits for me. Possibly. It's all about delivery, isn't it? You can you can take homage or give homage, but it's about the delivery. And to me, content matter and maybe not so much, but delivery in this song for me is very Jeff Buckley. Just mm. It's you and your guitar yeah. and you can have them in the palm of your hand just by singing with a guitar. Yeah. Not many people can do that. Yeah, it's true. It's so vulnerable in the production again, isn't it? Like just her sat in a bed of beautiful stereo guitars playing parts that are intertwining mm. around each other. I know this sounds mad. I know this sounds completely mad. Mm. But this sounds... I wrote this in my notes. I'm looking at like, what? But I had to say, it, it sounds like it's recorded in London. It has this like autumnal English feel I, do, I can't put my finger really? on it i know that yeah. sounds weird that and is a I, brave I, shout i know it, i know it's, but... it's brave and it sounds weird because it was recorded in la <laughs> <laughs> the com- was it actually it was recorded in la yeah fuck and the whole song was written in 10 minutes 
Cool. Oh, literally, I've, uh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Char- <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Fowler. Thanks, guys. What you're saying is then it didn't even get a stopover in London. Didn't it, was, even get, it didn't even get sent there, no. Like, like I say, so, really London vibes <laughs> on this one. So what I read was that during one of the lower points of Leanne's time, shortly after she'd broken up with uh, her partner, a friend gave uh, the album Courage by the artist we mentioned before, uh, Milton Nascimento which inspired her to write this song. The album was obviously called Courage, and this song is called Courage. How the song came about was that she was in a bit of a, obviously with the breakup happening and stuff, she wasn't too focused on music. And the label were panicking about her output while she was in that place. So they sent her to a writing camp in Los Angeles. And she was there with a bunch of different musicians, and she wasn't feeling too inspired. So she called a friend of hers, a guy called Joe Harrison, who also plays bass on uh, Paper Thin on this album. And she asked him to come into the studio. She asked everyone else who she was writing with on this writing camp to leave. Just her and him in the studio. And within 10 minutes, this song fell out. And that was it. This, this song was wow. born. Cool. Yeah. What a way to come out of a writer's block. Yeah. In terms of the, the style of the song, though, she's talking to herself, I guess, in order to find the courage within herself to get through this. Yeah. She's embracing her own newfound loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which makes this a, a song that is really addressing another person so this is only her within this song whereas we were just in seven times where she's still talking about that person but at this point she's not and i guess i guess when we get to sour flower in a second that that definitely feels like there's there's a breakthrough this is almost like your interlude between seven times into sour flower almost yeah to occupy the narrative it's like seven times they've just broken up and she's like we're over how about you get all your shit and get the hell out of the house that person is gone and she's now licking her wounds, leaning into the loneliness and then the sudden change of now being on your own and the emotion and the loss of the other person and stuff like that. And this song seems to signify that point where she's, yeah. now, she's now officially on her own. Uh-huh. Doesn't the instrumentation just echo that perfectly as well? Definitely. The, the loneliness yeah. of it, it's just her and it is just her. You're so right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess then with that being said, it does lead into the feeling that you get from Sourflower in a second that we'll, that we'll get to. Yeah, it kind of leads perfectly into that song because that song has a slightly different feel. I come away from the last song and the album as a whole feeling quite neutral. And I think she feels quite neutral about the whole thing at the end. It's not necessarily everything's okay now. It's more an everything's going to be okay album where she comes out the end of it being, I've addressed these issues and I think everything is going to be all right. So like a level of acceptance then? Yeah. She's accepted what's happened and she's accepted that things will be okay, but they're not there yet. I guess she doesn't give quite as much time to this third phase of being, of her feeling. Exactly. It's just the last couple of tracks where yeah. she's now in this space. And I think the last song, which we'll play right now, is the to be continued moment where sure. it's like, I've reached this point, it's over, and I think I want to be okay, but there's still some work left to do. Well, then that's a great primer for what the next album might be. Exactly. Then. And it is a sign of hope. It's a very hopeful album, although it has obviously themes of loss and stuff like okay. that. So let's carry that conversation on in just a second. This is track 11 and the last track on the album, Sour Flower. Track 11, Sour Flower, and the last track on this album. Got a shiver there, I must say, listening to it then. Stunning, that chorus, man. Yeah. Oh, like It's so funny, I listen to it now, and I can't hear it in a weird time signature. No. And Leanne said in an interview 
It's so strange, but when she hears this, she can't hear it any other way than 4 4. 100%. Yeah. What, what's it played in? It's in five. five. Is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never noticed. Sorry, we, we're doing this thing again. <laughs> oh, well, incredible. 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 Um, Shout out Newton Faulkner. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut reference. If you get that one, um, holler at your boy or whatever that, whatever the cool, whatever the cool people <laughs> you know, say. Holler at your boy. Um, oh, is that all right? Well, the, there you go. <laughs> and so you didn't know. It didn't feel like it was in a... In Absolutely a, not. No, no, it didn't feel like show. that. No, it feels actually really straight to me. That song is a real easy to digest song for me. I really love it. That's the weird thing about it though, eh? Yeah. Because it's in five. Love that. I'll be counting that out next time. I'm uh, 10 points for this it. one. It's a word. He's loved it. Hapax Legonomanon. Hapax Legonomanon. Ten points for that. <laughs> uh, the very end section of this song, the vocal was recorded on a talkback mic. Is that right? Yep. From a session in LA. And I know you're both looking at me like... Best fact. Ooh. Best fact today for me. That's, that. that's probably my best fact to date. I mean, we, it's, the competition's not very... I said this. I said that you're going to start bringing in really good um, facts. Just a quick throwback. The, obviously, the short song was the interlude. Okay, thanks. Long, thanks I'm here time. for the longest song, which is... Mm, this one yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm nodding at you yeah. 758 yeah. Something? Chris has basically given it to you there Yeah, I, I said 758 and I 7 minutes ish yeah it is but like we said just before this song started for me this song ends the album in a really neutral place I feel like there's hope for her but she's not where she needs to be yet or wants to be alright do you want me to piss on your fireworks if now? you could just piss all over me chips that'd be great mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> me chips chops just listening to it then and thinking about the way that it sounds as well as the content of the of the song possibly my favorite bit of that song and this is going to sound really weird but are the hand claps yeah I and hear for that. me I hear that. what the hand claps do are what do they do chris they're that's what they do but what they serve in this song is they're backing up the new confidence in herself in moving forward do you feel like they're almost applauding her not applauding they're not opposite her they're behind her they're like walking in the same direction with her and they're going yeah here we go yeah yeah, yeah. you got it i get that yeah did anyone get the origin of sour flower in terms of go well it was from her grandmother apparently who would often say to her when she was younger that's your sour flower that's your problem you have to deal with it i see yeah to describe personal hardship yeah i like sour things you do Speaking of which, <laughs> yeah. did we pick up a sour beer? Yeah. Oh, could grab it then, will you? Okay. All right. Well, again, talk amongst yourselves. We'll talk amongst ourselves. Um, I hate that, that guy. Chris is an arsehole, isn't he? <laughs> Why is the spatula on the table? Take it back to the kitchen. Thanks. Fucking utensils everywhere. Again, we've got some lovely themed beers for this podcast. Yep. So as always, we've been to the beer shop and we have got ourselves some beers that we deem to be as relevant as possible to the album. So we have a shop just local to us here, which is called Beercraft in Bath, where we all live. And what did we get this time? I can't remember. We The, the themes we had in mind, we went into the shop, was we wanted something bittersweet. We wanted something that could have potentially green papaya. And we wanted something sour for sour flower. What we came away with was... A bottle of bitter. <laughs> we did. We got, <laughs> Can't wait um, for that. we got a bottle of bitter from Dawkins. Right. Bristol's best, so Bristol Brewery. We've got a bit from Yonder called Flying Wonder. That Over is a Yonder. C. Buckthorn. We had those um, last time, didn't we? Yeah, that we did. We've, we've Radstock, had... did you say? God, how, how do you remember that? It's Radstock. Well done. Check me out, ladies C. and Buckthorn, gentlemen. Get that, on. There's your flower element, a little sea veg, I think. Sea Buckthorn, I guess. You say a little sea veg? Yeah, we'll talk about this in a minute. And then, <laughs> um, <laughs> then uh, Gobi um, Fish. Oh, we've got Northern Monk here. Um, this is... That's a sour as well. Oh, it's a sour. Yeah. So we could only find sours. We couldn't get anything with green papaya in it, but you know. What's well, a strawberry plum sakura fruited beer? Sakura being what in Japanese, Charlie? Uh, jelly blossom desu. Hey, so oh. this Cool. So let's have the sour then anyway. But yeah, go on. Crack it open, mate. Carry on talking as you were. So that 
kind of wraps up the album. Did anyone else have anything to say on Sour Flower before we start doing the uh, closing notes on the album? Uh, well, I did talk about it before in that this is what I'd like to hear Radiohead take on because this sounds like late era Radiohead as well with me. Yeah. Like, like probably after In Rainbows from what Weird Fishes comes from. Yeah. This is more like King of Limbs era stuff now. And mm-hmm. she's playing with these time signatures and you don't even know it. You yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And a really interesting guitar part. I will say, I mean, we haven't gone right into the song itself as we might have done elsewhere, but this is one of my favorites too. I think her vocal performance is great on this. It's probably the best chorus on the album for me. And finishing on a sort of seven minute song as well. All praise. It did it all for me, this, as a finisher. Yeah. I, loved, I really, yeah. really enjoyed that. As a... Me too. There's some great, some great unison singing. So instead of harmony, it's, I love it as well. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. Like in the choruses, the choruses become really strong. Again, if we're going to go into that clapping thing where people are backing up Leanne, where, you know, friends are backing up the friends in the band. Singing in unison. Singing with them. in unison, exactly. Big support role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%, yeah cool. 100%. Very cool creative choices in there. Yeah. Um, and I would love that. Like what you say about the Radiohead thing and it'd be great if I know BBC Radio won't do it with the live lounge where it's like each time you come in you have to do a cover of someone else's song yeah and I always adore those covers mm-hmm. and watching people reinterpret people's songs so um maybe next time Radiohead are in Radio 1 I do this song I, and they might yeah, go this on. one is for Chris Bunt they might <laughs> one two three four they might, they if, might. if Tom York Five. ever acknowledged me that would be my life's work done I think yeah yeah what an amazing colored beer it is, isn't it? Look at that. Red old yeah, rock. Yeah, cow. That's a red robin. Thanks, mate. So yeah, so that kind of wraps us up on Leanne Le Havas's third album, Leanne Le Havas. I would say an amazing choice, man. Something yeah, I, great choice. Something I might not have gotten to anytime soon because it just has flown under my radar. Yeah. Now that that one's gone, though, I'm excited about the next one, to be well, honest. I'm going to do a quick cheers before we... Um... Should we do a cheers? Hold on. Yeah. Cheers to... I've got to say a massive thank you to Dan C. Oh, okay. Let's let's cheers Dan C. Yep. Yeah, Dan. Quickly. Thank you so much for coming on, man, and giving us that interview. Really helped out. Cheers, cheers to that. Dan. Cheers to that. Uh, cheers to Leanne Lahavas. Yep. Um, an amazing album, and and so well done with it. I'm so glad that you got to express yourself in the way you've always wanted to without any outside influence. So congratulations on an absolutely amazing album for sure. Chris, awesome choice, man. Be that random or be that calculated. Well done. As is the theme of the show. We pick an album each week, bring it in, break it down track by track. We all get one chance each and it moves around in a rotation. So Chris was this week. It now moves on to Charlie, who is going to look after next week's album. So Charles, have you picked it? I have indeed. Excited to see you guys' reaction. It's, it, <laughs> Why? It's a self-titled album. Again. Okay. Oh, I don't want to do another one of those. 2011. 2011. Good year. And it is James Blake's Self-titled album, James I can Blake. Get on board with that. Very good, very yeah. good. Mate, and I'm, I'm so excited to get into lot, it. There's a lot to go through with him. I'll How do you guys that. feel about that? Ooh, baby. Yeah, man. Great on that. I, I just, honestly, that name and the whole thought of it, I just, I couldn't wait. Solid choice, man. Excited for that. <laughs> there we go. So to anyone listening, that's Charlie's choice for next week. We'll link to it on our website, but please do go away, listen to the album, absorb it. If you have any comments or any questions or any thoughts or theories, drop us a comment or a voicemail. You can do it on the website, which is www.tracks.show or www.betweenthetrackspodcast.com. Go there, leave us any comments, thoughts, wherever you might have. And we'll bring some of them into the show and and make it a discussion as always. So again, thanks to everyone who's been involved in this episode. Obviously, Dan C for doing the interview with us. Charlie for doing that interview. 
This is Between the Tracks. We are the book club for music. We have a Patreon if anyone wants to help support the show or, or do anything like that. We don't want to litter the place with adverts and, and nonsense. So um, if you enjoy what you hear, we'd love a bit of support. We're going to build into the Patreon that if you are a patron, you can start suggesting albums that we can bring in on the show. And you can be the people that start to control the show every, every now and then. We'll bring one of those albums in. So yeah, with all of that being said, thank you for the support. We've reached 2,000 streams now, which is a massive milestone Woo! for us. So thanks for all that support. It's been really cool, more than we could ever have expected in this tiny little room with three friends talking about music. My name is Carl Lewis. This is Chris Bunt. Thank you, Carl Lewis. And this is Charlie Fowler. Thanks, Carl Lewis. No worries. You're very welcome. We will see you all next week. There's only one thing to say, my darlings, and that is, you know what? Cheers and go. Amazing. Thanks for listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Written, produced and presented by Carl Lewis, Chris Bunt and Charlie Fowler. Intro and outro music by Ross Chapman and Samson Jasso. Artwork by Jim Hurd at Twinfin Design Co. Thanks to our friends at Sennheiser for the support. If you've enjoyed this album and can afford to buy it directly from the artist, links have been added to our website. 